Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks leak is what you do to the curb. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am so happy today to be joined by a first-time guest. Um, I did a survey recently of my listeners, which, by the way, was wonderful. Uh, I read all of your replies. Some of them like made me tear up a little bit. They're so nice and a good reminder uh, of the fact that um, most people are nice and aren't leaving angry comments. They're just listening. So I appreciated that. But I bring it up to, th- to thank you guys for filling it out. And also to note that several people remarked that they would like to have this person on the podcast. I actually invited you on the podcast before I got the survey, but the survey affirmed that I made the right decision because today we are joined by the one and only Theo Ash. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad that the survey and you both both (laughs) wanted me. That sounds like a lot of people. So I, I feel good. I'm sure you feel good that the survey reaffirmed your priors. That's always fun. And, uh, I guess we'll talk about priors being reaffirmed today in uh, in a couple of different yeah. ways. <laughs> kind of. Well, uh, yeah. No. What if the survey? What if I got a bunch of comments? Like, no, Just no. Don't ever have Theo Ash on. Then we'd be in a, we'd be in a tough spot right now. Then you would live in Miami, Florida. <laughs> uh, I think you might be more. You have might have more Dolphins fan enemies than definitely more than I do because I've been pretty positive on the off season. We'll get to that. Uh, Theo Ash is one of the hosts of a podcast called Stay Hot. You are also on Twitter at Theo Ash NFL, right? That's your yep, handle. Yep. Uh, and also, I, I, I'm going to say it, probably the only good NFL TikToker. Thank you. I <laughs> don't want to come off as too egotistical, but I agree with that assessment. <laughs> you don't have to, if you have... <laughs> If you have TikTok downloaded and uh, you aren't following me and are following other NFL TikTokers, like I'm sure they're great and I'm mm. sure your feed is fine, but I think it could be improved by by adding me. But uh, it's a it's a small world. It's a small it's a small pool. It's a small group of people, it. unfortunately. I'll say that. But uh, what can you do? Uh, yeah. Well, you do great break great breakdowns. Um, I really enjoyed this offseason. You went through I don't know if you would, I don't think all the quarterbacks, but a lot of the quarterbacks have looked at their interceptions. I really enjoyed that series. I think that's an exercise that's really worth doing. We should all be doing it, frankly, because we so casually threw out he had fifteen picks. He had no picks and uh you got you really gotta watch the tape. You did record predictions. So you guys, if you are on TikTok, go check out Theo's work there, check out his podcast, check out his Twitter. Today, we are not here to talk about TikTok or Twitter or, uh, well, we are here to talk about a little bit about priors. Um, uh, we're basically wrapping up the preseason, and I sent you a list of things that I wanted to talk about as we consider the 2023 preseason ahead of the regular season, talk about some expectations in that regard, some performers. And then at the end of the podcast, and this is where the Dolphins will come in, I asked you for a list of teams you felt like you were higher on and lower on than the consensus. And I, I really liked your picks because I found them to be really interesting. Um, so we will get to that tease. But the first thing I want to talk to you about was about the rookies. And and this is to me the most interesting part by far, the preseason, because how much can you really learn about watching, you know, Aaron Rodgers on a single drive throwing to, you know, Garrett Wilson. They're great. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler. 
Uh, you don't really learn a lot about scheme from watching the preseason, but you do learn a little bit about uh, young players transitioning to the NFL or guys who are fighting for jobs like Gino last year being a really good example. And I thought um, the top three rookies, Will Levis barely played. He didn't play the second two games. He was out with an injury. But Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson all had really interesting preseasons. They all played a lot of football, which was useful. Um, they are all starting week one as of today, or I think yesterday. The uh, Houston Texans ended their charade and announced that CJ Stroud is, in fact, QB1. Um I have an overarching thought on all three of the quarterbacks, and then I want uh, you and I to kind of dig into what we saw and how we feel about them and how we feel about their situations, perhaps more importantly, which is maybe the thing that I felt a little bit most mixed about coming out of the preseason. Here's my overarching thought. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson. They all kind of look like they did in college. That's how I felt watching them. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's how Bryce Young looked at Alabama. That's the anticipation. There's CJ Stroud. There's the accuracy, some issues of pressure. There's Anthony Richardson, the ups, the downs. None of them, to me, Theo, looked different from how I regarded them around the draft time, which I liked them all as prospects, so is kind of a good thing. Yeah, funny how that works. They're the same. <laughs> the players looked like the players. You know, I, I think that that's important, though, like sometimes, especially with Stroud coming from Ohio State, like the situation can be so, so different. And we saw it from fields like he completely changed. So everyone looked like themselves. No one looked like they couldn't handle yeah. it at all. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I thought that those I, I agree. Like everyone, I think, nailed it on the scouting reports. Anthony Richardson didn't get sacked. I mean, we'll go through them one by one. But, yeah, the strengths were the strengths. The weaknesses were the weaknesses. We'll go through them. But, but yeah, yeah. they. Yeah. I think if you're a fan of these teams, you feel good about because they're all taken high, obviously, one, two, four. Um, and you don't you don't all three of these teams. And again, we're about to dig into them. I would if I was a fan of the Panthers, the Texans or the Colts, I would not be like, yeah, you know, like I'd be like, all right, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, like I get why we took him. I, I see. I see the vision. Uh, if I was a Panthers fan, however, I would feel nervous about this the surroundings. So let's start there with Bryce let's Young. Let's start there. Because I actually, um, that was my bigger takeaway watching the Panthers preseason. Less that I changed my opinion about Bryce Young at all. In fact, I didn't literally look the same to me that he did in college. The way he throws, the way he moves, all of it. But when he was drafted by Carolina and I think during this sort of off season you know, before we saw the preseason, I was like, well, it's a good situation. That offensive line was ascendant. What a coaching, you know, whatever. I was a little worried about the skill players, but uh, I think that's my biggest concern coming out of the preseason, maybe more than frankly, the other two teams, even, although I do have questions about their casts as well. The, the Panthers offensive line just looked really, really bad this preseason in a really alarming way. Yeah, especially Iki Aquanu, the the top pick last year. And I can take some solace in the fact that he looked pretty rough last preseason and got better and better as the season went on. Uh, it would have been nice if he picked up where he left off at the end of last year and kept that momentum going instead of kind of starting all over, which is kind of what it seems like is happening right now. So I think because there is so much continuity on that line and they were decent last year, like you said, 
I, I still am holding out hope that once the games start to count and maybe we get deeper into the season, they'll start to gel like they did last season. Um, but yeah, it certainly wasn't an encouraging performance. And then the receivers as well, I, I wasn't super impressed by by any of their work either. Um, I was almost even more concerned about the receiver group than the line after watching them because I think they're gonna yeah. I think they're gonna ask a lot of Bryce Young year one more than Stroud and more than Richardson. And I know that we can't take too much away scheme wise from these preseason games, but truly we had no idea what this Indiana, not Indianapolis, that was last year, Frank Reich and this Carolina offense would look like this season because, you know, it's a new team. They brought in an offensive coordinator who's never been an offensive coordinator before. They talked about how they build this, this thing up from zero. It was a whole new playbook. And the offensive coordinator, Thomas Brown, was the main one who did it with input from Reich and the other coaches. So what is he like? Like, what is his style? I didn't think that we knew anything about it. And after watching these preseason games with Bryce Young, I think that you know, it, it puts a lot on Bryce Young as I, I think they do a little bit of everything. And in 2021, yeah. uh, Thomas Brown came over from the Rams. Uh, and in 2021, they were able to win the Super Bowl with a very deep dropping passing game, 11 personnel, get everything projected, work something front side with cup, work something backside with an X receiver. And it was full field reads and it was spread out and it was high flying. And I think it's something like that in Carolina this year. I really do. I think that mm. um, you've got the other thing that that they did was, you know, have last year they had to kind of change it up because Stafford was hurt. They had to find offense somehow. They took a wide receiver, put him at that fullback position. Um, they found so much success with Cup, who is a really good blocker for that slot role. Enter Jonathan Mingo. Like, I think the 2021 Rams is like maybe the closest thing to what we're going to get with these Panthers behind that offensive line. This last preseason game, we saw a lot of four step drop or four or five step dropbacks, no play action out of gun from from Bryce Young. There were concepts happening deep down the field on both sides uh, and with 11 personnel almost all the time. I, I think that it could be kind of a high flying approach and I, I, they traded up uh, top, they traded a top 20 receiver, top 15 receiver and DJ Moore to get him. Um, like they really must believe in this guy, I think more so than the other two. And I think that that is one thing that has stood out to me from these preseason games is I think they're going to put a lot on his plate. And I don't know. I think that he can handle it because he's a really, it'll go. I think that I, <laughs> I think he can handle it. I think that he can be the point guard. I think that he no, can make things happen, he... but the, the the receivers are slow. It's not super explosive. You saw some of the problems the Chargers have run into with a similar type of like yeah. issue. Like Thielen to me looks slow and in other yeah. breaks. He's not really adjusting to the ball with the fluidity that he used to. You know, I Mingo tested really well, but I don't think he's some sort of super athlete. You know, they've they've got Shark, they've got some deep threats, but no one who he really a little bit too. Yeah, Mingo at least is had a couple of moments. Yeah, well, we should acknowledge that DJ Chark has been hurt. Terrace Marshall has been hurt. Yep. So what we're yep. seeing uh, is is not the full complement of receivers. But you made a really interesting point there about the offense. Again, you never know how much to take away from the preseason. But I think we'll get to the other two offenses. The other two offenses have really looked like what I expected from knowing the coaches, 
Um, we'll talk about, you know, Houston and, and Indianapolis. I think it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I thought we would see. Like, oh, yeah, under center boot, RPOs, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the, the Carolina Panthers, you, you make a really good point. It was a little bit more of a mystery with the coaching staff and not really understanding the division of labor. And with the Rams um, and Thomas Brown, you know, that is a system that, again, as you alluded to, dramatically shifted when Matt Stafford became the quarterback. Um, and I think where I really agree with you is like the watching Carolina, the offense hasn't been like heavily schemed up for Bryce Young. Mm -hmm. Like they do clearly trust him to go out there, set protections, sit back and point guard this thing. And I see why, because he is very accurate. He throws with, and this is, these are things that I think have manifested some, themselves during the preseason. He throws with anticipation Mm -hmm. There has been a, quite a few moments in this uh, preseason where he has thrown the ball with like pin, like just such great anticipation. And unfortunately, his receivers <laughs> have not really uh, lived up to, I think, where the rookie quarterback. Uh, one example where it did was when they finally, I think in the third game, things did look a little bit better, probably because of the lack of pressure and the offensive line was able to hold up a little bit more and he wasn't constantly under siege, although Ihuquanu did his best to ruin a couple of drives. But <laughs> yeah, um, some, the touchdown to Thielen, it was like a corner route. Oh, it's beautiful. <sighs> but you, you remember the touchdown? I was like, that is a beautiful ball. That is Bryce Young in college getting like just throwing it, you know, at the perfect moment. And Thielen, to his credit, you know, got open and made a good catch. He also, I want to mention, um, I don't know if it was Zitt's drive or the prior drive, but James, it was, they were playing Detroit. James Houston uh, peeled off. He booted out. James P Houston peeled off. And he, the, Bryce Young showed really tremendous stop start and just juked him. And I was like, okay, okay, Bryce. Like, uh, yeah, that was, that was impressive. I, I like that. I like to see that. So I, I just, Young is flashing all the stuff that I liked about him in college. I'm just worried. About I, I share I think we share concerns about the pieces around him. I th I think there's going to be a lot. I think they're going to ask a lot of everybody on that offense because not only is I think there's going to be the deep dropbacks and I don't think they're going to really hold his hand, but there's also going to be all the RPOs. There's also going to be I think a pretty diverse run game. I think they're going to try a little bit of everything. I don't want to run Bryce too often. But I assume they'll maybe run some zone read just to keep defenses honest. And, you know, I think that there's just a little bit of everything in this offense. It's a total hodgepodge from a lot of different places. They've kind of built this all-star coaching staff. Like, who knows what Josh McCown wants to do, the QB coach. He's he's co played every single under every single head coach that's ever coached. And and their offensive coordinator went to seven colleges in nine years as a, as a coach. It was year after year, different place, different place, different place, different place. Mm -hmm. Then he went to L.A., they had Goff, Stafford, and then some another hodgepodge of quarterbacks that they had to scheme up. So it's like he has been in a yeah. bunch of different places, running a bunch of different offenses. McCown is part of that coaching staff. He's done whatever. Like, I think they're just – I would really love to know if you ask the Carolina Panthers, like, what are you at your core? Like, what do you want to run and what do you want to be good at? Mm. Like, I really wonder what they'd say. Like, I – I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. I think I know what the Texans would say. And I think I know yeah. what the Colts would say, as you mentioned. I just, and I think that's a lot to ask in a first year of any offense. And I think it's going to be a little bit uh, discombobulated and messy sometimes. But I yeah. thought that, I thought that Young looked pretty good. I thought that he reminded me a little bit of a kind of a nerfed Aaron Rodgers. And I think you see a lot of <laughs> Kyler and Russ comps for him. But I think that 
more than those short quarterbacks. Young wants to distribute from the pocket more than they do. I think. I think that agree. The other two want to go etch a sketch mode a little bit and like shake things up and change the picture. Like that's what they want to do more than what Bryce Young wants to do. Bryce Young still wants to do those things, but it's not quite as often. Uh, he will, but that's what Rodgers was like too. He he wasn't really a running quarterback or someone that you really thought was gonna, you know, just run in the background until someone got got open. Uh, he wanted to distribute from the pocket, but when he in, when he was in his athletic prime, he was really fleet of foot, and he could make things happen late in the down, and he could make guys miss in the pocket. And I think Young can do all those things as well. He's got the lightning quick release. He can he can throw from a variety of different arm angles. I think one thing that did stand out to me in this preseason is terms of flaws for Young. He doesn't have the arm that Aaron Rodgers has. And I think that that stood out a couple times to me over the course of this preseason. There was a whole shot against the the Lions up the left sideline, Thielen. Um, you know, he was he was in that zone versus, I think it was cover two. Yeah. I couldn't, this was from the broadcast angle. And, you know. No, I remember the exact throw you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. the overthrow. Yeah. Wob- wobbled yeah. a little bit, maybe a little bit too much arc on it, floated. You think about a guy like, you know, one of these elite pocket passers, the Herberts of the world, even the Burroughs, like they're just kind of taller and maybe, I don't know if Burrow has a more powerful arm, but Herbert definitely does. Who could just like zip it right in there. Young couldn't quite do that. There was another high low on the right sideline where he was targeting Mingo running a deep out route. I think it was Hurst underneath. And Mingo didn't have much separation, but he did have body positioning if you put it right on the sideline. And Young like tried to really, he was, had a strong base. He really had room to step into the throw and he tried to fire it in there. And the ball was kind of wobbly and skipped in front of Mingo for a little bit. Like, I just don't see that, like, woof, that power arm that some of these guys yeah. have and that Rogers has on top of everything else. So I don't think he quite has the ceiling of Rogers, but I think a lot of the things that like the style and like just watching him, he's like a shrunken weird version of he's a playmaker yeah yeah he's a playmaker who also wants to win in the pocket to very very good you know tldr what you just said yeah i think that tension is going to be interesting to see as it plays out this year because we saw that in college at alabama especially his last year when i mean one of the things that bryce young i think thank god he has going into the season based on what we've seen is experience playing behind a bad offensive line if you put cj stroud behind this panthers offensive line i would be like good night (laughs) <laughs> we'll get right. to him. Um, so I, you know, I think, yeah, like I, you know, again, that was in college. We knew he wasn't, he didn't have an elite arm. He throws with accuracy and anticipation, but that, you know, like he, that whole shot, he's not going to hit it every time. I think for him, it's just going to be a matter. And, and and if he had a real number one, like a DeAndre Hopkins type, who was a guy I wanted them, frankly, to sign yeah. on the outside, I would care less. I'd be like, it's fine. Unfortunately, I think there's going to be some ups and downs because of the lack of surrounding talent. But like what I've seen, looks like he did in college. He does not look like it's too big for him. I feel good about him. Um, Stroud, I have felt progressively better about as the preseason has gone on, especially obviously that week one start. They were, it was a, a lot of backups on the, the Texans offensive line. They were playing, granted, New England's twos, but New England's twos are still like monsters and they were just throwing a bunch yeah. at him. And he looked pretty rattled. And, you know, that that was a concern I had uh, coming out of college, which was really the biggest concern I had about C.J. Stroud is, like, how does he react to pressure? Um, he just wasn't an elite quarterback under pressure. He was really good at everything else. Fortunately, as the preseason has gone on, as he's been in situations where he's had time, 
again, I feel like a little bit of a broken record, but he has flashed the traits that I loved about him, which is he can spin it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, of these guys, he throws with such beautiful touch. So, I mean, some of the balls he's thrown this preseason, I would put up there with, you know, the top guys in the NFL. Um, not even like, they're not even like deep balls. They're just, most of them have been like intermediate stuff or stuff on the move. But he's, even in the last game, um, I forgot who the Texans were playing. Oh, the Saints. It was the Saints, uh, So it was yes. yesterday. Or, or, yeah, we're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So the ball he threw to, the to Schultz, the tight end, that was such a CJ Stroud ball where it was, I think it was like an in or something, but he's so good at throwing away from Lever. Like he's so good at pinpointing the exact spot, uh, whether it's protecting a receiver or setting him up for yards after the catch. It has looked really good. I think um, for him and, and for this offense, which we kind of know what it's going to look like, the question is just going to be to me like, okay, well, the pressure stuff we saw, how is that translating to the regular season? How does this offensive line play? Will he be protected enough to deliver? Because if he is kept clean, Theo, I think he can be an extreme. Like, I think he can be extremely similar to the guy we saw at Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, my takeaway from watching him at Ohio State was he's perfect. Like, literally nothing. It was awesome. Every throw that was deep down the field. It was aggressive. It was down the field. It was the placement was always perfect. His ability to create i think was always pretty good i think the georgia game made everybody say like whoa this guy can really you know make something happen with his legs i think that was always he don't want to run it i think and that you, was you're seeing that in the he never he does not want no to he doesn't really want to run it but his accuracy on the move i think was always pretty good you could go back to week one last year versus notre dame he would roll out when he had to and he could make throws like on comeback routes like lofted towards the sideline no one else can make a play on it except for his receiver. Like that was happening week one last year. And then he was never under pressure again until Georgia. And then he saw it a little bit again, where he could scramble out and make throws on the move. But like you said, that's the question with him is like, everything was great at Ohio state, but of course everything was great. Everyone on their offensive line, like Dewan Jones was really good. Paris Johnson was really good. Their left guard. I forget his name, uh, but he had a couple yeah. of reps even versus Jalen Carter that I thought were just fantastic. Their center was a, was a high draft pick. I don't know about the right guard, but he was probably good too. And then all the receivers are awesome. So it's like, yeah, he performed perfectly, but it's just a very, very, very different feel. And when you look at the top quarterbacks in the league, the, the Justin Herberts of the world, uh, the the Lamar Jacksons, the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes, they didn't really go to any powerhouse college where like yeah. they had to adjust to, well, they all have to adjust to NFL, seas, uh, to NFL speed. But some of these guys at the powerhouses, they really it's really a hard adjustment. And even Burrow who played in a stacked offense, like it took him a while f to stop taking like 70 sacks a year to like, he was special enough to get it done in both places. But, uh, Lenny cameo. That's exciting for me. I got, uh, that means I got a delivery. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's defending Justin Herbert's honor. <laughs> Anyways, CJ Stroud, but Ohio state stacked offense. Yeah. 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 Now he gets to play with Nico Collins. Now he gets to play with Nico <laughs> Collins. And I think what, I think it's going to look very different to Carolina in that I don't think that the Texans are going to put everything on CJ Stroud's plate. I think instead of 
CJ Stroud's supporting cast, I think of this offense as Damian Pierce's supporting cast, honestly. Like, they're under center so much over these past two weeks. They've been getting him the ball in a variety of different ways in a different scheme. Like, they've been tossing him the ball. They've been trying to get him out to the perimeter. He's been the starter almost every single snap while Stroud has been out there. It doesn't look like a mix between him and Singletary at all. D'Amico Ryan said, if we're going to have a good offense, it's because Damian Pierce is good. That's what, And I believe him based on the personnel and based on the formations they've lined up in and just based on the way Damian Pierce played last year and how many tackles he broke and how much of a, a beast I think he can be. Um, I it doesn't. It's a very different scheme because I think this is going to be more of that one-cut wide zone stuff that they're bringing over from San Francisco, whereas last year it was more power-based. And it's, gap. I want to interrupt you. Yeah, Yes. It's yes. 2021 pre-San Francisco, which I w- was something I, w- I didn't know. I, w- I wanted to see it. I, I had um, DJ Bianami, who covers the Texans, on the AFC mm-hmm. South, and we talked about this. I was like, so what does it look like? Is he under center? Are they running wide zone? Is it, Or are we seeing more of the power stuff San Francisco ran last year, the option routes? Whatever. No, this is when we think Shanahan offense, I, that's what, even though that's not what it is now, I just, you know, that's what this is going to look like. And mm-hmm. I think it's a good fit for Stroud, Theo, like because uh, he looks comfortable under center. He looks really good throwing on the move. Like you said, you're not putting too much on his plate. I think it makes sense. And you're sense not putting too much on the wide receivers. Yes, I you're think... not putting too much on the receiver's plate as well. Because that's, that's, gonna, yeah. that's also exactly. a big so you're part not, of it. Yeah. It's contrast. No, that, um, that's all it's, I want to um, say. It's not it's that they don't believe in Stroud. <laughs> the entire <laughs> passing offense is like No, 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 no. It's a... It, it's a contrast to what we talked about with Indianapolis or probably Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, where I, I was like, this isn't really heavily schemed up. It feels like they're asking these guys to win and whatever. That's not, this is going to be really schemed up. I think we're, like, you know, we, when we see more Robert Woods being integrated into the offense, that'll become abundantly clear. Like they want to scheme up gimmies. They want, I think all of the uh, basic play action concepts we've seen in San Francisco for a while that we, when we talk about Kyle Shanahan and how he made it like bumper bowling for the quarterbacks, I think we're going to see a lot of that stuff, a lot of the really basic stuff. And I think they can, I think it's right. I I, honestly, um, and then, you know, every now and then Stroud will have a chance to like flash the arm talent. And I think like the play action passing attack will look really good um, because he, he can make every throw and, I don't know. I felt I felt pretty good about the state of the Texans at the end of this. Like I was like, all right, you know, because look, the, none of these groups are world beaters, and we'll wrap with Indianapolis. But when I was like, you know, when I think about Collins, Woods, Tank Dell, we'll see what how they use him. Schultz, tight end group's not bad. Very good running back room. In the context of a Kyle Shanahan offense, which is what this is going to be. It's a it's a good situation for a young quarterback. Like I, I I felt better about his situation at the end of the preseason than I did at the beginning. Yeah, and the offensive line as well. Laramie Tunsil is maybe the best left tackle in the league. They just paid Titus Howard. They just brought in Juice Scruggs, a second round pick, and I think that that pick told you a lot about how they wanted yeah. to play because he's a undersized but very athletic, like mobile, fluid center. Um, they drafted Kenyon Green last year, who was severely disappointing in the scheme last year. And, and really, you look at their running numbers, like, I felt like I watched Pierce last year, and he was just doing crazy things every play, like, oh, he's, he's awesome, he's breaking all these tackles. And then you look at the success rate, he's, like, down at the bottom of every he's single cool one. Uh, so it's like, 
to me, with the investments they made in the offensive line and the running back they have, the running game should have been better. So I think a change of scheme is warranted. Um, I think that there is nowhere to go but up in terms of the running game. And uh, I think that, yeah, it's going to be kind of a weird I, I think it's going to be almost a little reminiscent of like the Titans with Derrick Henry. You've got this big, powerful back running a lot of zone runs mm. um, with a, with a quarterback who can, who can move a little bit, but mostly is dotting you up after play action. I, I, I think that that's what it's going to look like mixed with the baby 49ers defense. It's kind of an interesting team build. It really is the baby 49ers defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, they're, I was that was another thing. I was watching them against it wasn't the same starters, but I was like, damn, Texans are kind of tackling. <laughs> I was like, is this Dean Ryan's mm-hmm. effect already setting in? Uh, you know, and yeah, I, we, we went over the defense in the division preview, but I like some of these players. Yeah, yeah. I thought their linebackers made so I don't remember the specifics, but like their linebackers were making like good instinctive plays. And I'm like, that was not happening whatsoever yeah. last year. Their linebacker group nope. was a joke. So. <laughs> Yeah, like I think it has to be the D'Amico Ryan's effect, and I remember I remember last year when Lovey Smith called Derek Stingley. He said, "How would you like to follow the number one receiver every time?" And everyone was like, "Does mm. this mean he's changing?" And he didn't change. I think D'Amico. The thing that stands yeah. out to me about him is how, like, yes, he got a bunch of studs in San Francisco, but they were all used perfectly. Like everyone was maximized, and everything mm-hmm. was perfect. So it's like maximize Derek Stingley, maximize Christian Harris, like. Whatever their skill sets are, don't do what was happening last year. And I think that really last year with Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith, like I don't think the offense was being maximized. I don't think the defense was being maximized. This year, I think that the the scheme plays a little bit more to everybody's strengths. So will it be a very really good team? It will. I think I think Stroud could maybe put up the best efficiency numbers if this is indeed the direction they go. Because typically, like if they span play action. Uh, he might be more efficient than Bryce Young, who might have a little bit more on his plate. I think that Stroud is set up well for for a s- efficient or a more efficient season or an easier season than, than yeah. Bryce Young is. Even with the that's a, even that's with the gap, I think it's one of those things where in like wide receiver talent because it looks yeah. on paper like the f- Carolina has more proven guys than the Texans, but I think like. Yeah, I, I I'm not totally sure if that's how know. it's going to go down. We'll see when DJ Chark comes back. Say. Yeah, I'm not willing to say that for sure. Uh, so Anthony Richardson's final guy. Um, I think the last game he started, he he, I think he did three or four drives against Philadelphia was like the true Anthony Richardson experience, <laughs> and I think a pretty strong preview, both skill set and schematically of what we will get from him this year, starting off with some missed throws, some inaccuracies on the short stuff. Then I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was the second or the third drive, but um, you saw, okay, this is what it's going to look like. Uh, It's play action. It's RPOs. It's uh, very similar to, there's a lot of similarities to what Shane Steichen ran in Philadelphia. I was kind of joking with my colleagues about Jalen Hurts watching him on the sidelines. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I thought this was our thing. Like, you know. Uh, and then um, you also saw, and, and by the way, um, again, some inaccurate throws, some incredible throws, one of which was dropped. Uh, but fastballs. I mean, the yeah, he throws fastballs. Yeah, he does. Uh, and then you also saw, 
I think, I think um, two things that are very important about Anthony Richardson. One, he's impossible to sack. We all knew this. Everyone who got like everyone who watched him in college knew this. This was honestly like glaring. Uh, our like draft Twitter would not shut up about this, and it translates. He is impossible to sack. You saw that on multiple plays. The dude, it, it's kind of like, what if Big Ben was fast? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you remember how Big Ben used to, like, yes. guys couldn't bring him down, you know? It's similar uh, to that. And then you also saw, and this is really key, the impact that he has on the run game, even when you aren't designing runs for him. I think it was uh, the, maybe this was the third drive. It wasn't even the score, but Sipple's own read, the linebacker, and again, it you know, there's a backups, whatever looked just like I mean he was frozen by the presence of Anthony Richardson threatening the keep and I think we're going to see that I think the RPO will also help the run game and you saw that a little bit um it really is you talk he called the uh Texans the baby uh Niners defense this is the baby Eagles offense uh and I think there's gonna be highs I think there's gonna be lows but it's going to be really fun to watch. I think so too. I I, I really love watching Richardson. He's he's just one of my favorite watches, good or bad. It's always exciting. And and the RPO stuff, you've got to be robotic. You've got to hit the, like you. There's no room for extra creation stuff. And I thought when they called those, like he's able to, you know, get that done, get the ball out quickly, like execute those to a pretty high level. Like I think that he can do all that. But I don't think you can ever make Anthony Richardson a robot. And for better or worse, like you saw some of that in this game. He goes a little bit um, rogue, perhaps. There are times where I think he he wants to manipulate. He wants to move around in the pocket, maybe manipulate leverage. There was a time that uh, Michael Pittman just burned someone on the double move, just absolutely toasted him. And he was looking at him, but moved yeah. off of it a little bit quick, even as the corner was breaking on the outside part of this double move. But what he wanted to do was kind of step up, influence the linebackers because he's always such a threat to run and then throw across his body. And he was able to hit Kyle Granson low, but it's like he should have just stuck with the original read. Instead, he's like moving around, trying to manipulate things and, and get the ball out. But it's like you missed a touchdown in structure. There was another play. Josh Downs ran a quick little slant. He was on a linebacker. He won instantly. And it wasn't very far down the field. And Richardson separated his hands to throw this ball. Downs is wide open and then he, he stops. He doesn't throw it. And what he does is he notices that the defensive linemen have kind of collapsed inside. And even though he's got an open read, he scrambles to his left and then the linebacker pursues him and then he throws it to downs. And it's like, what he's trying to do there is like get downs more open. Like he's trying to get that linebacker completely out of there and then he's going to throw it to downs across his body but it's like just throw it when it's there because downs wasn't ready for this move and then it bounced off of his helmet and it was incomplete and it's like that i i kind of like that about him in some way like he's aggressive you know he's not someone who is bound to the rules of the offense all the time which is the case with a lot of the top quarterbacks in the league so i like that he shows these things he is absolutely not you know he he has feel he has he wants to do creative stuff and he can make things happen late in the down with his athleticism if he has that creativity. But at the start, like it's not always the best thing to do and you got to know when to choose your spots. And I think that's one thing that Richardson, um, that you can critique Richardson on. Um, he he's missed high a couple times, like overthrowing Pittman is tough to do, but he's done it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he throws fastballs. Like yeah. you said, and nothing, nothing has touch. It's just, a. 
I've talked about how with Young, when he throws with power, there's not that like type of feeling where it's just like, whoa, that was a rocket. Yeah. That is, that's not the case with Richardson. It's, it's all, it's, it's moving pretty fast. The ball that downs, it went through his hands had to have been going like, that was like a Josh Allen level. I mean, his arm strength is insane. And if downs would have caught it, he would have scored a touchdown just with the, he would have just been carried by the ball like a cartoon <laughs> Would have like character. carried it backwards. Anyway. I, I will say, I, I do think he he lacks touch on some of the short stuff, but the RPOs have looked pretty good. The decision-making on the RPOs has mostly been good. Um, you know, I, I think what I like about watching him, other than the fact that I, uh, I just think the offense is right for him, it, again, we all knew this. Like when Shane Steichen became the head coach and they, they drafted him, we're like, oh, good. You know, like, this is good. We like this. Yes. This is the right pairing of coach and quarterback. I think that's been borne out in the preseason. But, Theo, I like that he's just, he's, like, playing free, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't appear to be over, I mean, you know, sometimes he's got to speed up his clock a little bit, you know, as you alluded to. But, uh, and I would actually say this about all of the quarterbacks. Um, I think that they all are playing with, like, a level of confidence uh, that I think, that is encouraging because it hasn't always been the case with some of the quarterbacks drafted in recent years. So I'll wrap this one more thing. One thought about the Colts before we move on. I don't love the, the skill players. I mean, what has Alec Pierce even caught a ball from him? He had that one egregious drop week one. That was a bummer. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, see, some of this Pittman stuff has not been uh, Pittman's fault, but I just like, I'm like, I'm like, who's making a play, you know, on this team. And I feel that way across the board, really, as we, again, take a step back. I'm like, ah, do any of these guys have like a true number one? Yeah, I, I wish that Pierce had had a better preseason. There were some some poor moments, but it, it hasn't been on a large sample size. So I'm hoping that Pierce can flash or, or take a step in the regular season, like ahead of where he was last year. Cause he wasn't horrible last year. It's, it's a better group of receivers to me than, or skill position players than what Stroud or young has for me. You think? If Jonathan Taylor I comes know. back, I, I don't, I don't know either, but at least uh, with Pittman, he's big and like, he could snag maybe some inaccurate. I, I think it's like built well for Richardson. It's but Downs maybe isn't. I don't know. It's pretty mid though. They're they're all pretty mid. But <laughs> they're all they're. I wouldn't even characterize any of those groups as mid. Man, I think they're all bottom ten in the NFL. Like when you look at, which is uh, you know I think something that's going to be really important to remember as we talk about these rookie quarterbacks and their seasons. I don't think any of them are being thrust into you know, incredible situations. However, uh, I, do, I am optimistic based on what we've seen about the actual quarterbacks themselves. Cannot say the same about one Trey Lance, uh, who uh, I, I am not going to rehash the, the San Francisco side of things. Uh, it's been now we've got quite some distance from the actual trade. Sent to Dallas for a fourth. Uh, I, that's what I want to talk about with you uh, before we take a break here. I, I want to talk about the actual trade and the Dallas side of things. And we could hit the San Francisco side of things less about. Um, obviously, it was a mistake. They screwed up. It's bad. You know, no amount of success compensates for that. 
But I, I want to talk about the situation now that both of these teams are in, if that makes sense, or like why they might have did it and whether we think it was a good idea. The more I think about this, the less sense it makes to me. I That's where I'm at with it. Like, when Dallas first did the trade, when the, when the first when the news came out, for, we were all putting on Trey Lance on teams where there was actually like a path for him, like Minnesota or... The Tampa. See, I don't Tampa know, whatever. was the but, one I saw that. So most. Dallas seemed... Tampa. Atlanta. Yep. Is it, it was a name that I think some, you know. But so Dallas comes across and we're like, the what? And... um. You know, the first thought is, you know, it's a fourth, whatever. You can say that. But I don't know what the upside play is for like the the case for it being like a let's just see what we got, get him in the building. He's not going to play football. So, you know, the whole thing with Lance is that he's been impossible to evaluate because he's barely played. He's not going to play in Dallas. And frankly, I'll throw this out. Like, I don't know if, let's say, Dak Prescott does get hurt. And I don't, this, I, I'm throwing out any leverage against Dak Prescott. That's stupid. But let's say Dak Prescott gets hurt. Are we sure they start Trey Lance over Cooper Rush? Because I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure either. And the only thing I can think of is they had like a top five grade on Lance or thought he was like the best or the second best quarterback in the class with Lawrence and just were like, you still, you know, we still don't know what he is. So like a fourth rounder, like I, that's all I can think of is like, they just really, really liked him before the draft. They heard they could get him for a fourth round pick and we're like, we'll just bring him in the building and then we'll figure it out later. Like I, what, what could the logic be beyond just that? Like, I, I don't know because you're right. He's not going to play behind Dak. He may not even play behind rush who had a good record when he played last year. Um, I don't think maybe McCarthy wants to use Dak more like, Cam Newton? I don't know. <laughs> this is a scheme fit. Like maybe that's what no Kellen Moore looks like, but that's almost certainly not true. I, I think someone said that. I think maybe it was McCarthy or Jones. Someone was like, well, you know, as a backup, he could do more stuff what Dak does. I'm like, what? Right. <laughs> Dak Prescott, Dakota Rain, who barely runs? Like, what are we? T- are we this Rain. is not like you're bringing in uh, him to Philadelphia where it's like, oh, yeah, we got a guy who can run and we can run some of our QB power. What? No. He right. can't run the Dak Prescott offense. Right. There's this is nothing. They're, they're not similar quarterbacks at all. Yeah. I mean, Dak is no motion line up and just run something and be a really aggressive down the field. It's as much of a, of a pocket. He's as much of a pocket passer as there is in the league. And right. Lance just has his whole thing is like the athletic upside. And I thought Lance at NDSU like was a decent guy in structure. And I thought what they were running at NDSU was actually a little Shanahan-y and that's what kind of why like you could see like, Oh, there's use check and Oh, there's, you know, I don't know. I, maybe I'm misremembering, but it wasn't like Dallas and it wasn't what McCarthy ran with Rogers. If like, it's going to look more like West coasty and the ball is out super fast. And, um, yes, like I, 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 they, they, Jerry Jones said they would have drafted Hertz if he had fallen to them a couple drafts ago. And he said that Lance reminds him of Hertz. It's like, what would you guys have done with Jalen Hurts? That just sounds to me like they were like, we liked him, by the way. we That quarterback who's yeah. second in MVP was like, we were going to draft him, by the way. But uh, I, I don't know. I I have no idea what they're doing. I think they must have just loved him pre-draft. And maybe if they were drafting in the top yeah. five that year, maybe their offense would look very different now. But uh, 
as far as it is now, like I, I don't really see much of a path to playing time for him or to show. Anything. I mean, I'm not mad at it because whatever, you know, he's not making much money. It's a fourth rounder, although, um, you know, the, not you this year, but the following him. year, yeah. he'll be pretty high, highly paid for a backup. You'd think but so. I just yeah. don't get it. I just don't get it. And um, I just think I'm just kind of like personally as a football fan, a little bummed because I, I, I would have liked to see a team like Minnesota or Atlanta take a flyer, a team where it's like, okay, I'm not saying he's going to work out or, you know, that, but at least there's a, like a, a, a path towards something interesting or at least a path towards him playing or like a chance. Um, I don't really get the point of this. It just, it just doesn't make, I mean, you know, and, and like, like, look, maybe they got him with the intention of flipping him next off season, which I think is totally plausible and probably could flip him for something. Not that much less, I guess, but why again, it just feels like shuffling the deck. Um, the San Francisco side of things, I do want to talk about briefly because I don't like this either. <laughs> uh, I get, you know, the player wants out and it was a, a kind of getting kind of ugly and you're getting asked about him all the time. And so there's that side. There's the human side of running a football team that probably we don't acknowledge enough. But I also kind of think they're playing with fire a little bit with their QB depth. Um, obviously, Brock Purdy is the unquestioned starter. He's QB1. He's been QB1 this entire time. But, you know, he's coming off a very serious injury. Darnold, we know, has been inconsistent his entire NFL career. And then, like, I've seen people say, well, Brandon Allen, this Mr. QB3, he's not oh. good, y'all. So <laughs> someone who called the Rams preseason. So I, I, I kind of feel like, why would you sacrifice high upside depth for a fourth rounder when you have a Super Bowl roster? I don't know. Do you think I'm, is that unfair of me? I don't think it's unfair, but I do think Kyle Shanahan probably just wanted Lance off the roster and wanted to stop talking about him once and for all. And I think that Trey probably was like, trade me. And Lance was, or not Lance, Trey, well, Trey did say trade me. And then Shanahan was probably like, yeah, trade him. Like, I think it's as simple as that. Like, he's on the roster. He's kind of a massive, he's not a massive distraction to the team, I don't think. I don't think the team cares. But I think that he's in a massive, like, annoyance for the 49ers if he's just constantly there and they're constantly like, you failed him and look at him. There he is on the bench. Look, it's sad. There Purdy threw a pick. There's Trey Lance. The camera cuts to him and he's ready to go. And I, I don't know. I, I totally see them being like, it's best for both sides to move on. But I do think that like in a vacuum, like it totally makes sense to keep him around. I mean, Brock Purdy, you saw what happened last year. They had Christian McCaffrey out there playing quarterback. So like if any team should know quarterback depth, it should be, it should be Kyle Shanahan who's seen, you know, RG3 get hurt for him and and never quite be the same. And Pertigy, like, with his arm, his UCL, like, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to speculate. But, you know, he, he was hurt last year and had a throwing elbow injury that's pretty serious. It's, like, could matter for a quarterback. And Darnold has always been bad, <laughs> except for, like, a stretch of a couple games last year. So, yeah, I think it would have made perfect sense to keep him around if he was like a low profile guy. But I think he's such a high profile guy that I think it, it made it, a lot yeah. of sense to move him. I think it's one of these things that it's not a really about football and doing what's best. Or it's about the human side of things and, and running a roster. I, again, I don't like to 
straw man takes because I know this is not the predominant take, but I did see some, well, you know, Sam Darnold's a safe quarterback. I was like, Samuel Darnold? <laughs> Are we talking about the same guy here? Uh, 50, and I say that as someone who probably clung, turnovers and 55 God, games. Clung to him for too long. Um, okay. That, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a depressing end, frankly, to the story for me personally, because I'm not, I haven't totally lost faith that, even though I, I I certainly missed on, I thought he would be better. Uh, it just feels it feels like a guy who's been unlucky his entire career, and now this is not a good spot for him. So, if you have a quarterback and you draft him high, play him. Unless you have an Aaron Rodgers, unless you have a Tom Brady, mm. unless you have a Drew Brees, like that is still giving you really good play in the twilight of their career. There's just no reason to throw out a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Gardner Minshew if you're Anthony Richardson and and prevent them from getting reps for a guy like that. Wait. If you have a legend and you want a quick like a succession plan that goes smoothly, that's different. But I think that the mistake was letting Lance um, sit his rookie season. I think he should have just been out there right away. And I understand I why agree. they sat him, but I, I think next time that's that was their big mistake. I think it was a misalignment of timelines and priorities, and we rarely see good teams draft project quarterbacks. And I think this is kind of saw why, because there's so many pressures on a football team to win, to compete, that they're clearly were a team. They made it to the Super Bowl. Like, so it's like we're questioning it, even though on some ways, like what they did was right for the San Francisco 49ers, but it was bad for their draft pick. So they probably shouldn't have made the draft pick in the first place. Hindsight is 2020. Mm-hmm. Both sides are moving on. The Niners are going to be really good. The Cowboys are going to be really good. Feels to me like the biggest loser in all this is sadly Trey Lance. Yeah. Let's come back and talk about some winners. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This next section, I am sort of talking, or I guess categorizing is, are we buying it? Okay. Two quarterbacks who have lit up the preseason. I feel like the biggest winners of the 2023 preseason, in terms of the discourse, uh... Let's talk first about Kenny Pickett. 
Three preseason games, 13 for 15, every drive ending in a touchdown, perfect passer rating. <laughs> uh, major caveat supply, many, much of this came against backups, was recently Atlanta. Are we buying it? I, and I don't think when I say it, I obviously don't mean Kenny Pickett being the best quarterback in the NFL and going to have a perfect passer rating during the season. Are we buying his improvement? Are we... Are we buying how good the Steelers' offense, the starting offense, has looked this preseason? So you go first. Let me know what you think, and then I will weigh in. I think I'm buying it. I was intrigued by Kenny Pickett last year. I wasn't the highest on him coming out of Pitt. But last season, he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league on on deep balls down the field, and he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league throwing when his feet were moving. So he was kind of a a big play threat. Like I thought he had kind of a high ceiling as a playmaker in that way. Kind of a, an RC Cola Burrow is, I, I think Nate Tice called him that at one point. Um, <laughs> I was talking to QB class, Derek Klassen, and he said like Russ, Russell Wilson with like normal quarterback, like arm strength and athleticism, which I also <laughs> don't think was a, a terrible comp for him. Cause he had the go balls uh, and he could, he could break structure and make things happen that way. And this year, like, yeah, he's been hitting the top of his drop, getting the ball out up the seams and, and down the field and connecting. And yeah, I, I think that he can improve. And I think that he already had some high-end accuracy in some different areas. And we're seeing he's a young player and it's a young offense. Everybody is kind of growing together and they look sharp. And Pittsburgh is, I mean, they're well coached every single season. I trust their ability to develop talent. Um so it doesn't surprise me that that Pittsburgh would have a good succession plan after Ben Roethlisberger. So yeah, I, I, I'm buying that he's like a capable starter. Um, I'm buying George Pickens. I I, I don't think it's a really stacked division, um, but they had a winning record last year, and I think that it can happen again, as it almost always does, or always does under Tomlin. Yeah. So I did. We did a like a hot takes pod last week and my hottest take was that I thought the Steelers could have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, but I didn't th assign a record to that, which is so cowardly and like it's such a <laughs> sneaky way of uh, getting around the fact that I think that division is just an absolute, like I say that and I still think the Bengals, and the you know, it's like uh, it's a, it's, it's a hellscape. Mm -hmm. However, I, the more I've watched of this offense in particular, this preseason, the better I have felt about it. And I think with Pickett in particular, there's a few things that have jumped out. And I've talked about this. Um, last year, I thought he really impressed me. He really surpassed my expectations as a playmaker, attacking downfield. I wasn't sure if he was going to do those things. He also bailed on, like, fled the pocket constantly and uh, was reluctant to attack the middle of the field at times. And I think that you, when you watch him, you can see, oh, this is something that he has spent the entire offseason working on, that's those particular areas. And again, that it'll look different against real pass rushes, and he's, he's not going to look as calm and comfortable back there for sure. But when you consider the fact that he appears to have gotten better and he has thrown some dimes, like I want to yeah. like the, the Falcons drive again, it's first as the Falcons backups. Holy smokes. The throws to the deep balls to both Johnson and Pickens, both great plays by the wide receivers who are amazing. Both 
pearls, perfect balls. Like just, you could not throw better footballs than he threw. Um, and then the, speaking in the middle of the field, the seam ball to Fryermuth the week before, again, absolute laser. So when you consider the fact that like you're seeing improvement in the areas where I thought he struggled last year, I really think this offensive line is improving and they're, they, they made such a concerted effort to rebuild it. You go out and get Samalu this year. Uh, some of the players last year took steps as well. That matters. And then when you pair that with the fact that like, I really believe this is one of the better groups of skill players. And I say skill players, I'm talking wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, both of them. Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't they be good? Like, why shouldn't this be a top 10 unit other than Matt Canada? Like, I I, I, I am buying it. I am buying what I'm seeing because it, there's all of the elements you need to make the leap. The quarterback's playing better. He's improved in certain ways. The offensive line is better. And you've got a sick group of skill players. So I am, I am very optimistic about the Steelers' offense. Yeah, and I, I think that there is a path to the playoffs in this division, even though it's very difficult. I think they can finish ahead of the Browns. I mean, when Deshaun Watson came back, he averaged 13 points a game, or I shouldn't say he, but the passing offense did. He was holding the ball way too long. He wasn't really you know, playing with a lot of rhythm. And granted, he hadn't played in a long time, but he hasn't played any games since then. <laughs> it's not like he's had like a ton of time to like, you know, get used to this offense in game situations. And they started out with a really tough run of defenses. Like, could the Browns have a, be pretty deep in the hole by the time, like it's mid season. Like, I think it's possible. I I don't, I think the Browns have a really high ceiling, but I think that that's also a really possible reality for them. And then the Ravens are stacked, but they're also the most fragile team in the league. Probably Odell, Bateman, Lamar, Ronnie Stanley, like Marlon Humphrey, these guys all are hurt over and over again, you know? So if, if the Ravens get banged up and the Browns get off to a slow start, I don't know if the Steelers catch the Bengals, but they're kind of the, of they're, they're, they could, I could see second in the division for them. Um, if the Ravens get banged up, which is totally possible. And if the Browns get off to a slow start, which is totally possible. So I'm repeating myself, but yeah, I, I think that the Steelers are right in the thick of it, but they need a couple things to break their way. I just like it because also, I don't know. I like it when my opinions about quarterbacks change. I didn't like Kenny Pickett that much in the draft. I'll be real. I I thought he was just like a very low ceiling kind of guy. You know, the the Steelers took him at a point in the draft. I think it was like 20 or something or in the 20s where it was like, okay, it's fine. You know, it wasn't like anything egregious. But I, I wasn't, he wasn't someone where I was like, I can't wait to see how this looks in the NFL. Comes in last year does a few things. I'm like, you know what? Okay. All right. Kenny Pickett. You got like a little bit of, you know, um, kind of of scrappy out there. Kind of scrapping. And I, I love, we were talking about priors at the beginning. I like it when a guy like Josh Allen changes my mind as the years go by. So I'm not saying he's going to be Josh Allen, but um, I think just, you know, he's played well and he's put in a really good position. I mean, contrast the Steelers with the guys we were talking about at the top and the players that they're surrounded by. Oh, yeah. Just wildly different supporting casts. So I, the only thing that dooms it is if I think if Matt Canada clings to the Roethlisberger offense and they just pound the ball on first, second down, Najee Harris. And that's it's such totally a predictable offense. The <laughs> the Steelers were a team I watched a lot this offseason, and I was getting to the point where I just like knew what was coming next. I was writing down all the plays. You could probably give me like 
a late season Steelers game last year and just show me what's going on. And it's like split zone. <laughs> You're right. Like 90% split of the zone. time just saying that, <laughs> but like they had like miles Boykin out there, like run every time. Gunnar Olszewski run oh, every God. time. Like there is just the personnel gave was a dead giveaway every single time. It was not a diverse rushing offense. It was not a diverse passing offense. And that coordinator is still around. So it does scare me. It does scare me because it's like, if I know it's coming, uh, the defenses yeah. also know it's coming. And unlike me, they can do something about how to stop it, how to stop it. So that part does still worry me. All right. The other quarterback I want to talk about in Are We Buying has a coordinator who I do like a lot, or a coach, uh, and that's Matt LaFleur. And the quarterback is Jordan Love, who has had certainly not a perfect preseason, the likes of which uh, Kenny Pickett did statistically but um, I thought a very impressive one. All three games, there were some ups and downs, but put out a lot of really good tape, some really beautiful throws. Uh, in the last game against Seattle, it started very started with some issues, uh, missed some throws. But uh, one thing I really liked to see, seeing out of him in this particular game was the use of his legs, which is not yeah. really something he has flashed just intermittently, but you, you, it was a real reminder in this game. Oh, this dude's an athlete. And I think, um, that's one of the reasons why I am buying this. I, I'm trying not to be too positive. I guess I'm buying both of them but with, with some moderation. I want to say that Hey, there's nothing wrong with but, buying the uh, Packers you know, I've talked and the about Steelers. The, the, yeah. This pretty good, pretty good organizations. Right. The like two most well-coached yeah. teams in the NFL. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I've talked about this, the Packers offensive line, I feel like Love has done enough this preseason in terms of some of these throws, the decision-making, the athleticism. If I'm a Packers fan, I'm feeling pretty good about the quarterback headed into the regular season. Yeah, and, and I am a Packer fan at my core, so I, I have spent a lot of time thinking about Jordan Love and really? figuring if Yeah, it, it, I, I am a Packer fan, um, but tried not to be too crazy <laughs> about it because I do have to do this nationally. I shouldn't have said that because I'm going to talk about the Lions later and everyone's going to get mad at me now. But Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but and I do like Love, and I do think that from the beginning, he has been someone who has looked like he can operate an offense very competently. He came in off a poor senior season at Utah State. Uh, statistically not a very good job on film, like a lot of glaring holes and fell in the draft to the late first round, which you don't really see a lot of franchise quarterbacks get drafted there. So I feel like as he's sat, the idea of Jordan Love has been like, he's this really raw six foot four, like athlete. Like, I feel like that's kind of what people at least a few months ago thought of Jordan Love, but watching the tape on him from the chiefs game to the Eagles game to everything kind of in between there. I've seen a guy who keeps things on the rails and he, even against the chiefs, like going into arrowhead off short notice, no one knew Rogers was lying about being vaccinated. He comes in spags blitzes him more than anyone has been blitzed by spags before, yeah. which is saying a lot. It's the loudest environment in the league. You got to go in there. Like it would take a superhuman, like there are not many human beings on the planet who can go into that situation in their first start and look even half. Okay. And Love didn't really look that good, but at least I like understood what his mind was thinking. It was, they're blitzing me. Devontae Adams is one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to throw it to that guy. And that is a perfectly fine, fine pro 
thought process. And he was really trying to punish him. Devontae Adams was running a lot of routes deep down the field, and he was trying to get it there, and he just couldn't really hit it. I didn't love the game plan. I thought he could have done a little bit more to mitigate the blitz or you know, have Devontae running more underneath routes, which wasn't really happening. It was a lot of deep shots. Um, but overall, I was like, okay, he wasn't Zach Wilson in it, running around in the backfield like a chicken with his head cut off. That's good. And then as I started seeing more and more of him, it really just stood out to me how comfortable he was hitting the top of his drop and just ripping it uh, with anticipation over the middle of the field. Like he had that in him. The accuracy wasn't always there, but the confidence was always there. And I think the willingness to play like that was always there. And really my only question with him now is that rushing ability and is the deep ball consistency. He had a pa pass wide open to Christian Watson that was a little bit underthrown. In the yeah. last Seahawks game, there was a pass down the field to Watson against the Bengals that he left maybe a little bit inside, and Dax Hill was able to break it up. I haven't really Dax like Hill, I've seen the yeah. anticipate. Yep, I've seen a little. I've seen the anticipation. I've seen the ability to to get the ball out really quickly and operate the offense at a high level. I, I've seen that from him. But the 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 garnish, the flourish, like the spin around, like do some Rogers stuff. You know, like I'm not totally sure if that is there, and I feel like it's kind of hard to even comprehend that because. For the Packers, the narrative seems to be, will they go three for three? Favre Rogers love, or it's impossible that they go three for three. They can't go Favre Rogers love. But it's like, what if love is like Big Brock Purdy, you know, and it's like, can just keep things on the rail and maybe right. doesn't like, They're it's like what he could just be a game manager. And that's like the thing that no one can comprehend about the Packers. It's either they hit on a Hall of Famer or they finally draft a bust after all these years. And it's like, the answer is definitely somewhere in the middle. Here's my thing about Love. If he's just in that 10 to 15 range, I think that's good enough. Because I think Matt LaFleur is a very good play caller. I think this is going to be a very schemed up offense, the likes of which he could not call with Aaron Rodgers. Um, mm -hmm. And I like these young SEAL players. The flip side of Jordan Love underthrowing Christian Watson is Christian Watson was wide open. <laughs> He's yep. so good. He's dude, he barbecued Michael yes. Jackson uh on that go ball versus yes. Seattle. He had like five yards on him. And Jordan Love, if you're listening, overthrow Christian Watson. It probably will work out. He's don't try to put any touch on it. Get that ball out. Overthrow him. Don't give uh Dax Hill time to come across the field and make an amazing play because that dude can separate i think i think he is like a legit star to be honest i like romeo dobbs too they're giving musgrave the tight end that they took this year a ton of play he's gotten a lot of targets and um he's, they seem to be hell-bent on using him a lot we know how good this offensive line is we know how good the run game is so i just feel like with jordan love the question isn't is he the next Aaron Rodgers? it's like can he keep the trains running you know and mm -hmm. and to your point like i i think he can and i think that when I watched him this offseason, I wasn't like, ooh, special play, ooh, like dazzling, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, even the two throws Kenny Pickett made that I alluded to were probably better than most oh, yeah. throws oh, yeah. he made. Definitely. But I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. I think this offense, I think they've drafted so well, and I think the play caller is so good that I, when, to go back to the original premise of the question, am I buying it? I'm buying the Packers offense. I think they'll be good. And, uh um,. Jordan Love showed me enough this preseason for me to believe that. Yeah, I agree. I think it. All, what it comes down to with, with the Packers is all mental stuff. Rodgers went on 
I don't know what show he was on, talking about how many mental rep- mistakes they made per game last year. Uh, it does need to go down. It does need to go down. It's a really, really young offense, and everybody needs to play like yeah. vets. I think if there's a problem, it'll be frustrating things like drops. Christian Watson's not above a drop. Jaden Reed is not above a drop. Just, uh, uh, Musgrave is not above a drop. Like Even Dobbs had some drop problems yeah. last year. So like, catch what's thrown to you. And then pre-snap penalties. There were a lot of them this preseason. There was only one negative play that I think was on the offensive line all preseason for the Packers. There was one negative one yard Emmanuel Wilson run when Jordan Love was out there and the starting offensive line was out there. And Bakhtiari was even missing. But it was just that one negative one yard run. There were some other negative plays, a pass to Christian Watson that went for negative one yards. But on those passes outside, like it's not really on the offensive line. And there was the pass that got batted and Love caught it himself, which also I'm not really putting on the offensive line. He didn't really get sacked. He didn't get hit. And every run was uh, not a TFL except for one. So the offensive line is very good. But they also had, I think, five pre-snap penalties, a botched snap. Josh Myers has had several botched snaps this training camp. So again, it's like this team can limit the negative plays. I think they can, you know, Jordan Love can take care of the football. He can keep things on the rails. The receivers are super electric, but drops, pre-snap penalties. I think one thing that's fair to criticize of Matt LaFleur over the course of his tenure in Green Bay, sometimes they haven't always risen to the occasion in big moments. I think in playoff games, they've been favored and come up a little bit short after bye weeks. They have been blown out a couple times. Week ones, they've been blown out a couple times. It's not all the time, but I do think like watching this Packers mm-hmm. team over the past couple years, it doesn't always seem like they live up to the talent that they've got, or sometimes they can kind of collapse in on themselves. And that's the one thing they need to Certainly avoid. The they can't be sloppy. They cannot be sloppy. And the defense is, well, the defense is also like, looked so good on paper last year and got gashed. So... On paper, oh, yeah. the team could be really, really good, but everyone needs to lock in, and they're really young. One thing I'll, I, I don't think we'll see it this year. It feels like more of a two-year two thing with Love, but there is a possibility that this offense, and this year I really think it's going to be about just kind of like, you know, comfort, getting him, you know, mm-hmm. make efficiency and all that, kind of lives out the promise of what Trey Lance was supposed to be in San Francisco, which we never got to see, Mm -hmm. which is like, okay, you know, Kyle Shanahan wanting to draft um, an actual dual threat quarterback and let's see, okay, what if, you know, you were, you already like make lives for difficult for defenses in all the ways we talk about all the time. What if you change the math? And we might see that a little bit with Jordan Love and Green Bay, because I, you know, Matt LaFleur does come from that tree Obviously, mm-hmm. not something you did with Rodgers. There's some pretty interesting upside here schematically. So I'm excited to see it. Um, I'm optimistic. So that's, yeah, we'll see. We're going to wrap with I, I asked you to name two teams you felt you were higher on and two teams you felt you were lower on than the consensus. Uh, let's go higher, lower, higher, lower. And, uh, Let's start with the New England Patriots team you sent me. So I guess in give me your elevator pitch for why you are higher on the New England Patriots, and I will uh, either challenge it or disagree or agree. 
Okay, my elevator pitch is that Bill Bill Belichick lost his mind last year when he named uh, Matt Patricia the offensive coordinator. That was really dumb, and I don't know what what washed over him when he made that phone call and asked if he wanted to do the job, but that's over. He's fired someone that played with Mac Jones at Bama is there now, and we should see something closer to 2021 levels of offense from the Patriots. And in terms of the defense, I don't think that you can really make a dent in it. It's JC Jackson who's a superstar corner. He left last year. It was rookies. It was just people named Jones out there that no one had ever heard of before. And they balled out. Everyone was fantastic. And the front seven was is one of the most pleasant watches in the entire league, the way they take air out of every wet rep. <laughs> Jawan Bentley and Tavai, the way they take on blocks and just close up any potential gaps. Dietrich Wise is a beast. Uh, I think that Godshaw even, and, and then the pass rushing duo of Uche and um, Judon, like it's just no real super duper stars on that defense. But uh, last year they were a top five unit, even after getting rid of their only all pro. And I think that Bill Belichick just creates defensive players in like the orc pit from Lord of the Rings. They just all come crawling out of there one after the (laughs) other, like in an unstoppable, like they can just send the second strings out there and have them kill CJ Stroud. It doesn't matter. Like it's, I, the defense should be really good. The defense should be really, really good. And I think the offense will be closer to 2021 levels. And I think, And this is probably where the most contentious part comes in, because I think everybody agrees with that. I think the AFC East, there are teams that have higher ceilings from them, but I think all of them are at kind of a risk of being disappointing. And if they are, I think the Patriots are going to be right there. Mm. I think that the case for the New England Patriots is that they just win every game 16 to 13 and just make life miserable for every... And it's a totally realistic case. Um, I am very scared off by the fact that FTN has them as the, having the hardest schedule in the NFL. Yeah. They're high on the AFC. Sounds like they're higher on the AFC East than you. I think the AFC East, though, you do have more like high ceiling, high variance type teams out, outside of New England. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't listen. You don't have to get me talking about the Patriots defense, but the offense, I, 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 I definitely buy the can't be worse kind of argument. And, you know, even in the preseason, you've seen a little, you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. It's Bill O'Brien. They're going to, it's going to be a lot of RPOs. They're going to have them in empty. They're going to do all the things we wanted them to do. I am worried about the sporting cast and not just the receivers. I'm worried about this offensive line. Uh, I, don't know who's playing right tackle. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's unclear to me at the moment. That is a concern. Yes. Uh, and then I think other guys are hurt. Cole Strange has been hurt. I don't know. It's, it's Unwenu's back, which is important. He had off-season surgery. Yeah, he returned to practice. So that's good. Uh, but, you know, I, I it can't look worse than it did last year. So I, uh, I don't disagree uh, I think, but you hit on kind of what is really going to be the determinant, which is almost less about New England and more about whether teams like the Jets and the Dolphins hit the ceiling or the floor of their projections, I think is yes. probably going to influence that in a big way. All right. Well, that's probably a good transition to a team that you were lower on. And this is one where I think we disagree. So this will be good. Uh, the 
Miami Dolphins, you're chum in the water right now because that fan base, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're gonna, they, they love clipping stuff. So, yeah. so get yourself ready. Aggregate, get set up, set this up for aggregation. Let's go. I think why the Dolphins. lower on the Dolphins? I think the Dolphins are going to be the most disappointing team in 2023. I think they, all the warning signs to Ooh. me are flashing. Ooh. They're going off like, that team has such high hopes. Like it's a Super Bowl <laughs> contender, right? Everyone seems to like them. Every I've seen people say if two is healthy, they'll be the number one seed in the entire conference. I think that that's a pretty big if. I, I mean, this is a pretty ugly thing to talk about, and it's it's scary. But concussions, uh, when you get them, you're more likely to get them again, and they seem to increase in severity based mm. on the research that I've read. And I think to a had a miserable time last year because he suffered some pretty brutal injuries. He considered retiring this offseason. I worry about how that affects the team. I do. I think that if you're an offensive lineman in Miami, you're under a ton of pressure. I think if you're a Mike McDaniel in Miami, you're under a, t- a ton of pressure to keep Tua healthy. And I think that's a whole little side mission that they've got to really worry about is it's not just – you can't call plays where he might hang in there and take a big hit, really. Or maybe you can – but it's really risky. And I think that his medical history Mm. could impact the way Mike McDaniels calls plays. And this is, again, the human aspect of things. If you've got a quarterback in there and he hits his head again, I mean, imagine how you'd feel like as that in the the, the air in the stadium would be gone. All right. It would be an abject disaster for absolutely everybody involved. That is hanging over this team's head the entire year. And Tua is primed to regress anyway. Getting rid of all the injury stuff. Let's say he's perfectly healthy the entire year. He is not repeating what he did last season. You look at his pro football reference page. There's a lot of black and bold on there. Leading the league in touchdown percentage and like yards per attempt and all of these things. Like that's all really good. But I think those are kind of a once in a career type of things for Tua Tungavailoa. And when he was hurt last season, he missed games against the Jets twice, the Patriots, the Bengals, a game he got hurt against. And uh, there was one other team that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was like four or five top 10 defenses. And then he came back, he got the Texans, he got the Bears, he got the Lions. Like, I think that the, if he plays a full slate, the numbers are going to go down. Also, the last month of the season, teams were pressing their wide receivers more, disrupting the timing, getting a lot of depth with their linebackers, closing the windows that he wanted to throw into. Tua was not playing well the last month of the season. His completion percentage was below 60% in his last four games. I think his touchdown to interception ratio was something like 5-3. And a lot of Dolphins fans will justify that and say, well, he had a concussion. His brain was, you know, like not... That's that's something that's always the excuse I hear for this stretch of games was like, like it the was Packers. the Packers about the Packers game the Packers he, game and it could be true yeah, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily make me feel better about his situation like cuz that's pretty scary <laughs> like yeah so i just yeah. and Jalen Ramsey right. is already hurt the defense like the front four is super stacked Fangio is there but the secondary to me looks pretty weak. They brought in Ramsey for a reason. Xavier Howard looked like he lost a big step mm. last year and was pretty much burnt toast. Um, I just, to, they've already having injury issues. I think that Tua um, isn't going to repeat his performance from last year. And I think that his injury history is extremely yeah. scary to me. Well, I can't dispute any of the injury stuff. And I think mm-hmm. the, the question of whether that's going to affect play calling is really 
something that we're going to have to just see what that looks like, you know? Yes. we. It's total speculation and it's reckless. Uh, well, you know, just, no, I mean, I, I'd be, be nervous, man. I would be nervous too. It's the human aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of my um, Dolphins optimism, and let me be clear, this is, of course, predicated on Tua Tagovailoa being healthy for the majority of the season and Teron Armstead playing, which is, you know, as equal of an, an if, uh, is that I think that while you're, I've talked about this a lot, the offense uh, really ran into some issues in the second half of the season. You talked about the pressing. They play the Chargers uh, week wide, which will be really interesting. I think that there's so much talent on that offense that there's a lot of buttons they can press and that they had, they did press. I think you saw uh, at times like against the bills, for example, when he did play at the end of the season uh, that make me think that even if I don't think this offense is going to be like the buzzsaw of death that it was, but I think that even if they're like 70 to 80% of that, that's still a top 10 offense and while the Ramsey injury does suck, this is a defense that was playing better at the end of last year that is going to be much better coached, that brought in a very good linebacker who I think is going to help. I love this front. I absolutely love them, adore them. They're one of my favorite fronts in football. The front is so sick. So I think it's kind the of... front is sick. It's one of those things, Theo, where it's like, even if the offense comes down a little bit and the defense comes up, I'm like, mm. But... You bring up many reasonable points, um, and I think you, the most important of which is there's Super Bowl aspirations for this team. So when I say when we talk about like you know mm-hmm. relative to expectations, we're not talking about them winning more than nine games. I think we probably both agree that's pretty realistically on the table. We're talking about is this actually a Super Bowl contender? And a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 they have a high ceiling, but I also think their floor is 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 very very low. I yeah. think like if there's a team that just completely implodes this year, I think it's Miami. But it's that's a very spicy take. So, and yeah, Hill and Waddle. I do you know what I predicted them to go on TikTok. The Miami Dolphins. Are you familiar with this? No. Did you do a a, a record prediction or? I didn't. I I went on record and I said they'd win six games this year. <laughs> Yes, this year, oh, six God. games. I can't condemn <laughs> yeah, that. It's, that's, that's no, no. I, I don't expect anyone else to be as low on them as me, but I six, six games. I, I worry about them. I think, let me throw really out a schedule. take. Yeah, they have they all, every one of the mm-hmm. AFC does. I think even with Mike White or Skylar Thompson, they win more than six games, honestly. so You think so? So, yeah. I'm crazy. We'll have to touch base at the end of the season. Okay, you're, you're high <laughs> on the Giants. If I... No. Yes, yes. No the more Giants. Dolphins land. It's enough. <laughs> no more Dolphins. Enough I'm people. sorry. Uh, let's talk about the Giants, because I think the Giants are really interesting. Uh, this is another offense where the starting unit did really look good in that one drive uh, where we saw them during the preseason. Um, made a lot of changes, a lot of additions on both sides of the ball. I guess, well, you know, th- this is an interesting pick. It's also a spicy pick, because a lot of people have them pegged as a regression candidate for all the team reasons that teams usually regress winning a lot of close games, most notably. Uh, so why do you think that's not going to happen? I don't think it's going to happen because I think there's a lot of meat on the bone for them to improve. I, I think last year their roster was not very good, like on paper. I, I, the team I was very wrong on last year was the Giants. I looked at him, I'm like, 
offensive line looks bad, receivers look bad, corners look bad, and Wink Martindale is going to blitz a lot. Like they're going to get torched, and I don't think they're going to be able to to win many games. But they wildly surpassed my expectations, won a playoff game, and I I think there's something to that. And I think um, going from Joe Judge to Mike Kafka and Brian Dable, like I get that it's there's some plexiglass theory stuff where if you get that much better. Uh, you're probably going to regress a little bit. But I think it can also be that their coaches are just that much better than they were last year. And I think that this quality of play that they that they played with last year is what they should expect going forward with that unit. And they're adding a guy like Darren Waller, and they didn't get anything in terms of deep shots last year. It was the most conservative offense in the NFL, lowest average depth of target, least percentage of throws over 20 yards. Like there was absolutely nothing down the field. This year, so... I think they can kind of repeat the, you know, one step, get the ball out quick, play action, run it with Saquon, run it with run it with Jones if that first read isn't there. Like, I think all that can happen, and I think they can take care of the football and keep things on the rails like they did last year. But I think there's a lot of room to grow in terms of explosive plays, and I think the addition of Hyatt and I think the addition of Waller will help that a lot. So I, I know that there's maybe some things they'll regress on, like maybe they won't be – quite so lucky with the with the turnovers maybe there'll be a few more who knows but i think overall it's a very competent team um and i think last year they were just throwing stuff at the wall the first half of the season they were like 24th in in pass rate from weeks one through nine from weeks 10 on they were fifth or sixth so that's like a totally different offensive philosophy that they just went to mid-season and they were good in both areas and now they've got some time to figure out, I think, what they want to be, what they want to do. They've added some talent. And, yeah, they're a regression candidate. But last year, I think they were ahead of schedule, and I think they're more talented hmm. this year. Uh, I, I I, like their front seven a lot. I like Kayvon Thibodeau. Dexter Lawrence is a sleeper defensive player of the year candidate to me. Um, Aziz Ojolari quietly has a lot of sacks in his career. In, they're not going to give it to in and out of the lineup last year. Stop it. Dexter They're not going to give it to a nose tackle, but Dexter Lawrence is so much better than all the other nose tackles. Sorry, I got to stop you. Front seven. You can't say front seven. I'm sorry. Who other than uh, Okereke is a starting linebacker on this okay, team? Okay, okay. I, right. I, I, I was nodding a lot for the podcast <laughs> audience. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I like I like these. You know, the offense is going to be more explosive. I like Darren Waller. It looks really good. But when you said the front seven, I was like, okay, this is. I got I to step in here. You had you had Dexter Lawrence de- winning defensive player of the year in the front sleeper seven. <laughs> sleeper pick. They have an elite, elite guy in the front four. Yeah, it's a terrible sleeper pig. They were in. Bright, light your money <laughs> on fire. <laughs> All right, you're right. They're not, he's not going to win. He's a sleeper. He's a sleeper sports writer. He's a sleeper sports writer pick for defensive player of the year. In that, uh, there might be a group of people on Twitter who could push the. Okay, so I do like this front a lot, and I think that uh, Thibodeau, if he if he ascends, they have the potential to be even better. They added some bulk. You know, this is a team that was a nightmare against the run last year. So even adding like Okereke, I don't think is like a top NFL linebacker, but the gap, the leap you take from what they were working with last year to him in sheer competence is pretty massive. That said, I don't know, you know, around him. It's a little bit iffy. You bring in a Sean Robinson, you know, you're really trying to shore up (laughs) that run defense. Um, Deontay Banks, who they drafted in the first round, also looks really good in the preseason, by the way. so Yes, he does. Which was a pick that I liked and yep. every, everybody liked because it just made a lot of sense for a weak Martindale yep. defense. I think with the, the Giants, where I struggle with a little bit is 
I think they could be better and yet not finish with a better record because of one, I think the NFC East is difficult. Some of the regression stuff. I think that's kind of why I struggle with them, Theo, because I don't like, I'm like, Oh, this, this is a better football team than last year. No Mm -hmm. question, but things might not go their way. You know, we just, it's just something we see. There's a reason why the one score game stuff matters. And it, it does tend to be pretty predictive. Um, I do think Daniel Jones is probably going to turn the ball over more than he did last year, especially if he tries to push it down the field a bit. I say that as someone who really likes a lot of what they did and really, really likes this coaching staff. So I don't like slandering them and I'm, that is not my intention, but, uh, there's definitely like, there's, there's reasons to like what they've done while I think also being skeptical of the immediate short-term results in terms of competitiveness. It's always tough. This is my problem with the Patriots and the Giants because I'm like, oh, yeah, this team is scrappy. They're good. They're sneaky good. No one's giving them any credit. And then it's like similar the division. And then it's like, no, I think you're dang it. Yes. No, I think you're you're, (laughs) that's that's an I could have said the same thing about the Patriots. Totally. We're like, I think they'll be better than they were last year. Will it matter? That's tough. Okay, let's wrap. (laughs) Uh. You slandered the Dolphins so hard that uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm on the record pushing back now because uh, Dolphins fans, I am your I'm your defender. Uh, I don't think you're going to slander the Lions as much, uh, but no. you you did say you're a little bit lower on them. Uh, I did go so uh, last week with the Takes Pod, we went to the Bill Barnwell show, and Bill also had a sim- he was also a little bit skeptical about Detroit. So you're not alone in this okay i guess i feel what's the the biggest reason (laughs) everybody loves the scrappy detroit lions except for you everyone does everyone does love them and i love them too like dan campbell is is awesome like that team is cool but people are projecting a big jump from the lions and like last year or two years ago they were really bad last year they were decent this year in the natural progression of things, they should take the leap to Super Bowl contender. And I look at them, I'm like, where are people seeing the jump? How much meat is there left mm. on the bone for them to get better? And their offense was operating at such a high level last year. You know, they were top, what, 10 in the league, definitely. I think they were sixth in EPA per play overall, especially over the last half of the year. They were really cooking. But when it comes to Jared Goff and the offense, that's kind of a team that I think could regress a little bit because it's like, if you look at the PFF QB annual, which I always think has a lot of good information every year, they were pretty low on Jared Goff, which is shocking to me considering PFF's history of ranking hmm. like system quarterbacks. Usually they have them like graded number one, but they looked at a lot of his stable metrics and he was average to, to below average in a lot of them. On non-play action reps, he was in the 27th percentile for their grades. On the play action reps, he was in his, the 97th percentile. And we've seen offenses like this over the course of history, and we've seen them over with Jared Goff, really, like with a genius play caller, he can look really good. But is it sustainable year after year? And what new answers do they have? Their deep threat, Jamison Williams, is doing all the things that things that busts do, which is get suspended, get hurt and not catch any passes. So it's like, I like Tim, but like, is that going to be a, just made a horrified face deep for threat? The listening audience? <laughs> like, I, I just don't know if you can bank on 
much of an element to their offense that isn't just the underneath stuff because they've got Gibbs, they've got Laporta, mm-hmm. they've got Amon Ra. And last year they got blitzed a bunch because golf is bad when you move him off his spot and it's kind of hard to get pressure on the line. So people blitzed him and he would just get the ball out quickly. And I think they could still do that, but I think they'll get, he'll get blitzed less. And I think that this offense that was so good last year, I'm just not sure... I guess the running back room is better, no, I hear you. but like that doesn't really move the yeah. needle for me in terms of like what they did last year. Like yeah. right now, I would say they're not a top 10 offense to me, the the Lions. And maybe that changes because they don't get hurt and other teams do. But if I were to tell you, you know, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Kansas City, Seattle, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Jacksonville, Dallas, Chargers. Those are 10 offenses I like more than Detroit. Mm. And in even the Packers, they've got a system quarterback. I did say Baltimore. I didn't say Miami. Okay, you could okay. throw them in there. There's probably a couple teams that you could throw in there that I yeah. didn't even say that like maybe look okay. better and I'm a little bit higher on in terms of offense. And the defense, they run like man coverage. They blitz. It's a we're better than you type of scheme. And they're not quite better than people on defense, I think. They're, but they're not better than people, but they're going to be better than they were last year. I think I'm actually going to make the so exact too. same case I made for Miami, which is even if the offense takes a little step back, and I think that's plausible, uh, it's totally plausible. I actually, I'm trying to remember if I had, I think I might have had them outside my top 10. Yeah, we, we, did, we do a top 10 offenses pod, and I think I might have had them just mm-hmm. outside looking in, which was, you know, kind of, I can't remember uh, either that or at nine or 10. But, anyways. Yeah. Uh, even if they take a little step back, this defense was so bad last year. So you ask, where do they make the leap? And I in overall EPA per yeah. play. Yeah. So I think the investments in the past defense, in particular, that's where they make the leap potentially. Now I have concerns about the run defense still being an issue that lost them football games last year. They're starting a rookie linebacker. I think Jack Campbell's going to start. Um. Still some questions about that, but the mix of Sutton, Mosley, Brian Ranch, who's balled out this preseason, CJGJ, Joseph and Walker, it's good, it's deep, it's better. So I, 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 I think... It's it, again. It's very similar to the Miami thing, where I'm like, I could, I see, you know, when people are like, Detroit Lions are going Super Bowl, I'm like, whoa, 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 like, you know. But I do think some very of the targeted improvements they've made on that side of the ball could pay off. I'll say that. So I would say I, I agree. I just think if the offense gets a little worse and the defense gets a little better, that means they're about the same. And they were nine and eight last year, and they didn't win their division. If I were to tell you Lions or Packers, what would you say? I think most people would say Lions with very confidently. And I look at the Packers and I look at what Jordan Love is doing and I'm like, he can be a game manager like Goff. And I look at the weapons, I'm like, they maybe don't have anybody as good as Amon Ra, but they, as a whole, top to bottom, I think, I, I think I'd take the Packers skill position players over Detroit's. The line in both places is very good. And the Packers have Jair, Rashawn Gary, and Kenny Clark. Three players better than anybody on Detroit's defense. So could I tell you, like, would it shock you to say, like, the Packers and the Lions are, like, very close to just as good as each other on paper? I think it's not surprise. I, I, I don't think yeah. that's a hot take. And then the Giants. I, I don't think. The Giants and the Lions, I also think, are in kind of a similar place. But the Giant, But the Lions are getting treated a tier above those teams, and I don't think that they are. 
I don't think you're wrong about the Packers, but God knows I've been burned by that good on paper defense for like three straight years now, and they still have the same defensive coordinator. At the end. That is. So, uh, <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. You're so, not wrong. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. I like this. I like it. I feel like I agree too much with my guests, so I'm glad to actually have a little bit of we're, – we're going to have to touch base at the end of the year, especially about that Dolphins. Uh, we will. Oh, my God. It's not I will me, be so. – carried to miami on a stake if uh the dolphins are really good so we will not be touching base <laughs> awesome. well uh i really appreciate you coming on this is really fun um guys check out theo on twitter theo ash nfl on tiktok it's also theo ash nfl i think right same handle uh yep your tiktok handle is the same okay and the stay hot pod but uh in the meantime we'll be back later this week uh having Ben Solak on, Seth Walter. And again, thank you to everybody who filled out the survey. Really awesome to read. Really appreciate it. Theo is nodding because he got some popularity votes as well. <laughs> <laughs>